0: What's going on, Internet? Welcome to the conversation on TYT. I am a stand in host, Francesca Fiorentini. You might have heard of me. Um, If you haven't, hello. I'm cool. Whatever. Let's be friends. Um, Today on the conversation, we have two, uh, once again, amazing guests, as always. Uh, Our first guest is running for Ohio State House in District 73. She is Kim McCarthy. Kim, are you there? I'm here,
1: Francesca. Hi. Hi.
0: Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. So, you have such an interesting story. You are originally from Australia. You moved to Ohio. Ohio. You Mm -hmm. became an activist in the Occupy Wall Street movement. And now you're running for uh, elected office. In fact, this is your second time running. Just tell me about your journey.
1: Yeah, well, uh, you know, I arrived here 25 years ago. I ended up marrying someone from a place called Xenia, Ohio. And Having grown up in Brisbane, Australia, you know, I was used to um, a certain um, life, I guess. When I came here, um, my first job was as an employer. And uh, my, the man I married had his own business and I'm an accountant by trade. So I started working in that business. And um, the things that kind of struck me initially was, firstly, that um, he was telling me we were responsible for our employees' healthcare needs. Mm. And I was like, seriously? (laughs) Um, Also, he told me that we were able to decide how much paid time off they got. And again, I was like, wow, this is nothing like I experienced. Um, but okay, I just went with the flow and um, tried to fit into my new country. Right. Um, and, you know, when Occupy Wall Street started in 2011, um, that really kind of um, lit a spark inside of me. And I got really involved in our local group called um, Occupy Dayton, um, Dayton, Ohio. And that really kind of kicked me off um, with activism on the federal level. But then in 2016, when Trump was elected, um, I walked out of our local county uh, polling booth And I was just, could not believe how many of our local seats um, were going uncontested. Mm. There was no Democrats on the ballot. It was just Republican all the way down the ticket. And I was like, what is going on here? So Mm. that was when I decided that, you know, maybe I should start looking a little closer to home. So um, I started attending the local county commission meetings and, you know, standing up and asking questions of them and, you know, trying to work out what was going on, why there were no Democrats in my county. So, you know, it didn't take long for the county commissioners to grow weary of my constant questioning. (laughs) And one week when I was standing up asking another question of them, uh, one of them looked to me and said, you know, if you don't like what's going on here, why don't you just run for office yourself?
2: So, Uh-oh. you know, um,
1: <laughs> I think that was a bit of a challenge. So I was like, you know what? I think I can probably do yeah, this. Exactly. I'm watching what you guys do and I am not impressed.
0: <laughs> so, so, you, <laughs> but let me ask because you're an accountant, right? So, you're uh-huh. an accountant by trade. You became an activist. You then started sort of looking at the books of your state legislature and. I'm assuming you found some very hellish gems in there. Tell me about that whole process of learning where the money in your state was and and was not going.
1: Right. Well, um, you know, since 2005, um, the Republicans in this state have really had a stranglehold over all of the elections. Um, They offer constant tax cuts to everyone. So, you know, since 2005, they've cut nearly $10 billion from our revenue stream. So um, they have to uh, cut money somewhere. So our local cities, our local counties have really had their uh, funding Uh, cut back dramatically. And when I was seeing the impact of that at the county commission meetings, and I looked towards our state legislature and was like, well, what's our rep doing to try to help restore these local government funds that Mm -hmm. are really hurting our communities? And, you know, I saw that he wasn't doing anything. I mean, all these people are on the same team, so to speak, right? So I could tell there was this kind of hierarchy where you didn't step out of line and say, hey, state rep, you know, where's our money? These people just put up with it. They were in their seats. they were okay. You know, things were fine for them. But, you know, we we have a county um, that is really struggling in many ways. So um, that was when I decided, you know what, that's where the money's coming from. That's where the laws are being written. So I think I think I can run for that seat.
0: And I think that's so important. You know, I think state legislatures often get overlooked, uh, nowadays. And now we've, have seen though the ways that they really are the gatekeepers even for policy at a national level. Uh, take the Affordable Care Act, for example, whether or not it gets implemented fully is so much up to the state legislature. So tell me about then your district. Uh, I know that there was a shift in 2016 also. Um, back when you started getting more politically involved or at least electorally because your district is mostly a red district, mostly held by Republicans. And then there was a Bernie Sanders moment.
1: (laughs) Yes, there was. Um, Well, Bernie Sanders won um, the primary um against Hillary Clinton. So, you know, that really inspired me because I absolutely align with most of Bernie's policies, well, I should say all of Bernie's policies. So um, that really gave me um, hope that there was um there was room for a message like that, a progressive um, economic message in a red county like that. Right, And, you know, there, there haven't been any kind of competitive races here. Uh, the Republicans, they basically line up for these seats. Right. And they don't, um, they don't speak to the issues that people are experiencing. They offer up no solutions. We've had 30 years of Republican rule, one-party rule. 22 of those 30 years have been a trifecta where they've held the State House, the House, the Senate, and the governorship.
2: No, so, you know,
1: they don't have to do anything. And when I decided to run in 18, I really put forward a strong progressive message and people responded because these are the things that people actually are dealing with. No one has spoken to them before about their health care issues, about their extraordinarily high property taxes that have gone through the roof in order to fund our schools mm. because our state house does not care for education. So you There's know, so yeah. many,
0: you've learned so much because this is actually your second time running now for state uh-huh. house. Um, what did you learn that first time around running and specifically I'm interested in your opponents. What are some of the interests that are backing these Republican state reps? Um what are their donors like? What what did you learn in that whole process?
1: Well, you know, we have the fossil fuel companies, Um, we have, um, you know, you name it, actually Mm. it's across the board, um, right now we have lots of extreme legislation being, uh, trying to be passed with regards to women's healthcare. Um, you know, my opponent ran on guns and abortions, right? I mean, that was his two things. He flew the flag. And said um, he was pro-life and pro-guns and tax cuts always. And
0: are those the issues that when you talk to voters in your district that they're the most concerned about?
1: No, not at all. I knocked on about, well, personally, I knocked on about 8,000 doors in 2018. I had one woman um, reject my knocking because she was pro-life. Wow. For the most part, everyone wanted to talk about healthcare costs. Um, jobs that were not, um, you know, low quality jobs, um, with no benefits, it was, um, you know, it's the same story that we see across the country, frankly.
0: Yeah, and you actually tweeted about this, um, sort of in response to the State of the Union. Uh, I know that you're one of Ohio's representatives, Tim Ryan, right? Who was uh, also running for president, I believe. One of the many, many. <laughs> he walked out of the State of the Union, and he wrote something like, um, "You know, this is this is all for show. It's basically like um, wrestling. You know, it's all fake." And he said. Um, If the economy is so great, why are Ohioans working two to three jobs to make ends meet? And you sort of echoed that and said, uh, many Ohioans are living on the edge thanks to part time gig economy jobs, no safety nets, no paid leave, no retirement. Workers deserve a chance to live dignified lives. If elected to your state senate, how would you change um, change that specifically in terms of um, working conditions uh, for Ohioans?
1: Yeah, well, um, we, ha- we have to stop giving away tax breaks to corporations who basically have no um, concern for their employees. Um, I think um, a great idea I read about recently was about having, you know, portable benefits, mm. uh, you know, just like Social Security and Medicare. If you're having to work three part time jobs, you know, you don't have the luxury of any kind of safety net. But if we could force businesses to offer all of their employees, you know retirement, pay time off, um, the basic um, you know those safety nets that prevent people from going off the edge of the cliff with one small illness, right. um, you know that is obviously something that would be really helpful for a lot of people. So how is it
0: looking for you? Just a final question. What does it look like for you this time around?
1: Well, we moved the needle twelve points to the left in just um, one election in eighteen. Um, we shattered previous fundraising records, like six times over. Wow! Um, and I'm hoping if we can do that same thing again, we've won. And this time, uh, it was I was against a three-term incumbent last time, and um, it's a brand new person this time. So uh, I think. Um, we have a much better shot and people know that I'm here for the duration. You know, I'm not doing this because I want a career. Um, I really want to um, bring a better quality of life to the people of Ohio because they deserve the same rights as people across the world. Right. You know, I feel like I always say to people, if you guys knew how good other countries have it, you would not put up with this.
0: That's a great entry point. I would lead with being from Australia and yeah. then talking about all the benefits over there. Thank you right. so much, Kim McCarthy, running for Ohio State House, District 73. Find out about her campaign, Kim McCarthy, ohiooh.com. Follow her on Twitter, all the things. Thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely.
0: Oh My gosh, once again, a great interview. I think it's mostly me, uh, but we have to take a break, and we'll be right back. (music) Hello, good people, welcome back to the conversation with your host, Francesca Fiorentini. That's right, I'm here, I'm never leaving. All right, uh, up next we have an amazing interview, Uh, it's gonna be amazing. Uh, I'm speaking like Trump now, Uh, but no, our next guest is the president and CEO of an organization called fairvote.org. Welcome to the program, Rob Ritchie.
2: Thank you, Francesca, great to be on.
0: Yeah, thank you for being here. Just okay, tell us what is Fairvote, what do you guys do?
2: So Fairvote's been around uh, since 92 and I have been part of it. So we haven't succeeded yet, uh, but we (laughs) are trying to raise big structural reform ideas that are really catching on. The biggest one of all is proportional representation to change congressional elections or legislative elections. So if you get 20% of the vote, you should get one out of five seats. And there's ways to do that. There's a bill in Congress called the Fair Representation Act. We help get the national popular vote plan going to reform the Electoral College, automatic voter registration. But what's really moving most of our agenda right now is the idea of ranked choice voting, the instant runoff ballot. As Rachel Maddow was just saying, the one-two-three system, but they're using it in Maine now for presidential, congressional elections, yeah. most of their primaries, and we think it's a great idea for for a lot more There's of our voting. There's so much
0: to reform with our electoral system. You mentioned like four of them right there, and <laughs> I'm, so let's just hone in on that. Um, yeah, ranked choice voting. I think uh, I, you know, I, I come from San Francisco. We ranked choice voted in our last mayor. It it worked not in the favor of the candidate I wanted, but it it seemed to be more of a democratic process than it was going to be. Um, explain ranked choice voting uh, and and what it does to democracy.
2: So quite simply, it gives voters this extra power of being able to do more than just vote for one. So the you know, democratic presidential field right now is a great example. There's actually more than two people, as people may have noticed. and you know, you get opinions on on more than one person and you, see coalitions you have a first and second and third choice you have these opinions about the candidates and you have a system that just truncates what you can do of just voting for one except for a few states that we can get into are actually going to use ranked choice voting this spring but um ranked choice voting would allow you to to rank candidates and that simple act of being able to do more with your ballot really changes your relationship with candidates because they now know you can not only have a first choice, but you guys have a second and third choice that might make a real difference or fourth choice even. And so they just need to connect with more voters. They need to, to, to learn what makes more people tick and what's fun to see on the ground in places like San Francisco is earning in second and third choices. You really have to get out there in the community and earn it Either you or your 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 campaign staff, and it's not just name recognition; it's like making connections with real people.
0: Yeah, and I think the other thing is that it forces candidates to run more positive campaigns. So you see candidates who are maybe running in similar lanes, um, not attacking one another because they're ultimately hoping to be that that candidate's second choice or the vote the voters of that candidate um, their second choice. Right. So, in a way. It could avoid some of the dust up that we're seeing or the sort of phantom dust up that we're seeing online, you know, in different newspapers and reports about, you know, Bernie versus Warren or, you know, Buttigieg versus Klobuchar, whomever, like all this, you know, centrists. So, so that's actually happening, you're saying, in 2020.
2: Yes, it's really exciting for us. Not the biggest states, but ones we care about, Alaska, Hawaii, Wyoming, Mm -hmm. and Kansas. Uh Their Democratic state parties are all using ranked choice voting, three of them on Super Saturday in the first Saturday in April. And uh, instead of just voting for one, those voters get to rank their candidates. And it's exactly what you say, all these interesting kind of like, oh, you can only vote for one and you start getting really tense. And these kinds of uh, otherwise allies suddenly being particularly Edgy or negative with one another, they can actually flip and run much more positive campaigns. They do want to beat the other person, but they also know they depend on those person's backers to back them too. So you you try to find a middle ground of, of like distinguishing yourself, but not extinguishing your opponent.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I am curious as to whether that's viable on a national level. Like, could there? It would have to be a state by state thing, or. Could it come down from the national the federal level?
2: Go national, Um, so Maine is using it for president Uh uh, in November Uh and Congress and Senate, and they did that in their state. But there is a bill in Congress, the Ranked Choice Voting Act uh, has some uh, great members like Jamie Raskin and Ayanna Presley, and about a dozen members are on the bill. Um, but we think it'll sort of start taking off more. New York City just passed it, and okay. several of the, the really interesting members of Congress from New York City endorsed that that measure, both kind of the moderate wing and the more liberal wing. Um, you know, AOC and Hakeem Jeffries, and 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 I think it's something that can bring people together. We are seeing Republicans back it in Utah. A couple cities are using it there, and we think about a dozen more are going to debate seriously using it uh, for 2021. It really makes a lot of sense for any. Any contest where you have more than two choices, yep. which I think is a good idea, <laughs> um, is a great one to use ranked choice voting.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, and that gets to I think the heart of what is so wrong with our political system is not just this winner take all um, uh, system, but the fact that we have two parties, right? And I think one one proposal that you all have at Fair Vote is proportional representation, which my mind immediately goes to. Does could that pave the way for another party? If it's not this winner take all system, you no longer have the idea of a spoiler candidate. Just explain proportional representation. How has it been implemented in places that it has?
2: Yeah, it's a really one. Is it's very common around the world. And yeah. so, just today, Ireland was using a form of proportional representation that is embodied in Congress in this Fair Representation Act, HR. Mm-hmm. Thousand, um, and that one's actually ranked choice voting in districts, legislative districts that elect more than one person. So let's say Connecticut, where there's five seats, and you'd run out large in Connecticut. And if you got about twenty percent of first choices, you would win right off the bat because that's one out of five. And let's say two like-minded candidates got each got about ten percent. They would have enough votes together to get twenty percent. And a third party and an independent can hold the major parties accountable. They don't split the vote, but they also can now win with you know, about a fifth of the vote. And the major parties are leaving key issues behind, not talking about things we all care about. They are going to be, there's a chance for voters to express what they want, get what they want. And if one out of five people wanted in Connecticut, then they would be represented. And so if the major parties are not responsive, yes, we would get new, new, new parties uh, winning seats.
0: And in Connecticut, is that on uh, the state legislature level?
2: This would be part of the Fair Representation Act. So the Fair Representation Act would actually establish this. In all congressional elections by statute. It doesn't take a constitutional amendment. We are not bound to the current system by a constitutional amendment. It's just statute. And one of the things that's fascinating, you know, the constitution slogan of, you know, a more perfect union, or that's our, our slogan, but that phrase from the constitution right. is 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 to us a message to say keep making this better folks and we sometimes settle into just thinking whatever we're doing you know james madison must have etched it in stone or whatever and it's not true it's it's most of these things are very open to us to change and every 30 40 50 years we tend to get around to it and make some big changes and i think the 2020s are ones where big ideas like ranked choice voting proportional representation popular vote plan for president changing the or caucuses so we don't start with Iowa with a handful of people <laughs> putting, or whatever, right? These things can change and we don't just have to keep doing the same thing.
0: Yeah, and I think what's interesting about your proposals is that they are not the obvious reforms. Meaning, you know, my mind goes to the Electoral College, which I absolutely as a progressive believes needs to change. But rank choice, proportional representation, those are things that arguably you could get Republicans to sign on to, and make reforms that actually are benefiting all people. um, You know, no matter what your party.
2: Exactly. I think it's a really exciting thing. It it, they're very like a voters first kind of way of looking at it. Um, In fact, you know, Republicans are shut out of winning. uh, You know, California. They they don't do very well in congressional elections in California. Uh, They don't do very well in Manhattan. Uh, You know, with the Fair Representation Act, we modeled what it would look like, and in fact, both parties would have the voting power to win in every single state at every single corner of every state that has at least a handful of members. Um, and um, also by, by race and women, my mm-hmm. my wife runs a group called Represent Women. Uh, the data shows that women run more, win more in these systems. People of color have far more opportunities to break in and uh, uh, find a way to build coalitions and win. It's really exciting stuff.
0: Yeah, so okay, we have to talk about what went down in Iowa very briefly. but. Give me your diagnosis, I mean, was it just this app? What are your thoughts on the caucus? Cuz what you're saying about ranked choice doesn't sound that different from the caucus
2: model. There's an aspect of it that is like the caucus, right? So I was there. It was interesting. The second straight (laughs) time I went to the caucuses, there's this academic conference where these kind of politically minded political scientists spend the morning sharing papers. And I did one on ranked choice voting and how it's being used in these primary states coming up and why it makes sense to expand it. But then you go off and do political tourism and you and you end up seeing the candidates and you know they they're all around and and then you go to a caucus and it the thing that they did so the caucus is like this 19th century kind of thing like horse and buggy and you know it's kind of cool but it's like are we really going to pick the president this way and and um Point us. And, and 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 I think that what we saw was an attempt to professionalize it or make it better but only in kind of this halfway approach right it got mm-hmm tried to put in new rules to make it more rigorous and better, but they still were fundamentally amateur hour. And that combination was a mess, and the app didn't work and so on. But it was kind of predictable that trying to layer on professionalism onto this was was ripe for potential problems. What these other caucus states are doing is actually just saying, you know what, we're not gonna have the in-person thing. We do like the realignment feature. So when you go to an in-person caucus, you get to go to your second choice if your first choice can't win a delegate. Right. Like like ranked choice voting, and it actually makes many more votes count. That's a good thing. Um, but it was awkward, it took a long time, it was kind of confusing to see people figure out what to do. And instead, if they, in these other states, they're just gonna get a ballot, a very simple ballot. We say, here's my first choice, here's my second choice, here's my third choice. And it does, it ends up with the same algorithm, but just so Rob, we much have to so
0: leave it there. Rob Richie, fairvote.org, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you, Francesca <laughs> Everly. Yeah.
0: Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. See you next time on The Conversation. Later.